Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. And before we jump into the really cool stuff that we're going to bring you today, we have a super important message for you. Did you hear that Brilliantly Resilient, the book is out in the world and it landed on the top 100 bestsellers list. That's where it debuted. We're so excited. Go get it at amazon.com. Search Brilliantly Resilient and you'll see it in Kindle and paperback. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I'm Kristen Smedley here with my partner in crime, Mayor Shran Bontempo, and we've just added a new best friend for life. <laughs> we've, we've been having a good old time in the Zoom room. We are bringing to you our new best buddy in the whole entire world, Robert Raymond Riopel. Say it 10 times fast and we'll send you a prize. <laughs> Robert is a social media, uh, quite a social media guy. I was looking at your following and the stuff, especially on Facebook. We'll talk about that where you can find him, but such great stuff um, with uh, uh, his book that's already out there is Success Left a Clue, but we're going to be talking about the next one coming out. And uh, I'm sure that we are going to stay right on task, right on target and not go sideways at all. Welcome to the show, Robert. (laughs) Pressure, the pressure. Uh, thank you, ladies. You know, I, I am. I know from the fun that we've had before you hit record that we're going to have just a little bit of fun while adding a lot of value to people. Because to me, I believe there's way too many serious people on this planet and life's too short not to have fun. So I'm ready to have some fun and, and deliver value at the same time. So thank you for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. We are so excited to have you. I, I was... Um, I was checking out all of your stuff and I just, well, first of all, I have to, I have to preface all this by saying that I have seven and three quarters grandchildren because one is on the way any, any day now. So seven and three quarters, but this whole idea that you talk about leaving success, leaving a clue. If you can, if you're, if you're not in this world, you might not appreciate this, but my grandkids like to play blues clues all the time. So I'm always looking for clues, but they're not, they're not success clues. And I really want to know how to find those success clues. So tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, you know, the, the clues have come from me being blessed to travel around the world for the last 18 plus years, being able to do trainings. Um, you know, one of the things that I love is that I get to live my passion and BC, of course, before COVID, <laughs> I was flying on average 200,000 miles a year around the world doing live trainings anywhere from 100 to 6,000 students at a time, three to five days at a time. And I'd be on stage up to 12 hours, full immersion trainings. And I was being able to not only train, but I was being able to share the stage with some of the most amazing thought leaders in the world. And I started to notice the difference, the little clues. And that's why on my book, I'm known for giving people clues. And what I loved to see is what was separating people that have success from people that don't. Is it that they're smarter? No, let me be very clear on that. (laughs) They're not (laughs) smarter, but they do have habits that they do on a regular basis that have allowed them to create success in their life. And so when I started noticing those, I decided to start putting it down 
And then I decided to write a book. And in 2017, we put Success Left a Clue out and it's now an international best-selling book. And I've loved the journey that was creation of that book because it wasn't just me going, hey, I'm now brilliant. Because ladies and gentlemen, I'm not. I'm just me. <laughs> I tell people I got one brain cell left. I'm doing everything I can to take care of that thing. <laughs> but I am good at observing what other people do and utilizing and modeling that. And so that's allowed me to then impact people around the world. So, so I want to hear about that in a minute, but what, so when you were doing the trainings and you were on stage with all these thought leaders, it wasn't about these, these clues to success. Cause you were, you were finding those out as you watched these people. What is it that, that brought you to those stages that you were, that you were educating the world on? Yeah, it was, it was making a lot of stumbles, uh, you know, and necessity. They say necessity is mother of all creation. Where I grew up, I live in central Alberta in Canada. And here we have a very, a lot of, I, how do I do it without um, getting people upset? Well, that's not going to happen. So I'm just going to say it. Yeah. We have, there's a very redneck kind of energy in this area. And so it's really? like, here's the box. Don't think outside the box, uh, uh, especially when it came to like work. You do a job that supports your family, whether you like it or not. If it supports your family secure, you do it. And so when I started working, that's what I did. But also here I am, I'm newly married. I'm all of a sudden being laid off at the age of 21 from my third company. And I'm starting to get a little bit of a complex. I'm like, is it me? It seems like every company I get hired onto, they eventually shut the doors and I get laid off. Hmm. And at the time, we, there was, the economy was terrible. And I knew I wanted to support my family, newly married. So I decided to start delivering pizzas. And I did that for Domino's Pizza. Was hmm. able to go from pizza delivery to manager. My wife became my assistant and we started working hard open to close seven days a week because that's what we know to do. And a year and a half later, all of a sudden that drama was coming back in my life because our franchisee walked in and said, letting you know, I'm selling my two stores and you know, getting out of Domino's Pizza. And all of a sudden I knew enough that if a store got sold, the managers were replaced. The new owners came in and wanted to do things with their own team. And so I went into fear mode. Here we go again. But now it's both my wife and I about to lose our jobs. We got to find. And my, my thought and theory was, let's talk to other franchisees in the city, see who else we can go to work for. And my wife looks at me and she goes, um, why would we do that? We're qualified to be franchisees. Why don't we just buy the store we're working in? And I looked at her. I'm like, because we don't have any money. That's why we're not going to buy the store. Hello. Funny shmoney. Right? <laughs> right. Exactly. And, but one of the things we do have is we have passion. And so my wife and I, we decided to, how do you, let's find out how you buy a business if you don't have money. And we made a lot of mistakes. We made a lot of stumbles, but we learned something from every time something went wrong. Mm. And it took us about four months of learning until we knew what to say and what not to say. And we ended up not buying the store. We ended up getting a hundred percent financing for both the stores my franchisee had for sale. Mm. And we became franchisees and it's like, oh, we're now <laughs> successful. But here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we knew how to run a Domino's pizza, but we didn't know how to run a business. Mm. And there's a world of difference between mm. the two. And it took us about two years of making more stumbles, more mistakes. Like, oh, we're not going to get an accountant. We can't afford an accountant. We'll do it on our own. We're already working 60, 70 hours a week in the store, but we'll do the accounting as well. Eh, <laughs> wrong answer. And when the government came knocking on the door two years in going, uh, hello, you're in business, but we don't see paperwork. We had to buckle down and, and hire an accountant. Thank goodness we did because it got us straightened out. But the accountants looked at us and they went, 
how did you make it the last couple of years? There's no way you should have survived financially because here was our philosophy, ladies. If we had money in the bank, we must be doing okay. <laughs> no, that's not the way to do business. And we started, once we figured out, we started doing pretty well, but our spending habits got us spending more money than we were earning. And I know that probably shocked you. You've probably never heard of anybody who's ever done that before. <laughs> and by the time we were franchisees for eight years, we're over $150,000 in debt personally and going down quickly. And that's actually when we were introduced to personal development. We went to a three-day training that transformed our life because we learned why we're in debt. We learned more importantly to take ownership of that debt. Hmm. Quit blaming other people for our debt. And then third, what to do. And we did something very rare. It's actually step number three in my book. We took action when we left. Most people don't. Most people would have come out of the weekend and went, that just changed my life. Okay, what are you doing with it? Yeah. Well, nothing, but it changed my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and because we took action, we actually went from being $150,000 in debt personally to actually being completely retired financially free nine months later at the age of 32. Wow. In our mind, yeah, that's what our mind said. Kristen is, it went, wow, that worked. And if this wow. much learning gave us that information, what would more do? And we dove in to become students. And that's where I found my passion was to teach because I, and here's how my dream started. I believed if I could help even one person do what my wife and I did, go from that financial struggle to being financially successful, it'd be all worthwhile. And through tenacity, I ended up getting on stage and starting to train. And then now I've personally taught over half a million people around the world as of today, because of that journey that we went through. And you talk about brilliantly resilient. That's been kind of our, I've been so looking forward to this interview because that's been the theme my wife and I live by is that it's not getting about getting knocked down. How quickly can we get standing back up and going and asking those questions? What worked, what didn't work, what can we do different? And by asking those three questions constantly in our life, we make adjustments and we keep going. And that's where the resilience comes from. So let that's me ask kind of the long short version. Let me, let me just back you up and ask you this, Robert. When, when you said in the very beginning that you had been let go of jobs three times by the time of 21, and then all this happens. I know that you have the process now of what worked, what didn't work. Did you, what happened in those three years that you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to go get another one. Okay. I'm going to go get another one. Okay. Is there something in you that, that doesn't stay down in the pit? Were you in that pit of life sucks and my life sucks? And how did you, what is, what is the, what was your key to, to looking at it differently and saying, okay, I'm going to go try again. It was just sheer tenacity because I was raised to take care of your family, no matter what it takes. Don't okay. sit there and go, oh, that's beneath me, that job. I will do any job that I need to do to take care of my family. And I don't care if I'm scrubbing toilets. I don't care if it means I have to, they say you have to start at the lowest position. That's fine. I'll do it with a smile on my face because my mom and my dad also taught me that no matter what's going on in your world, in your day, in your life, the moment you walk into work, you put that behind you, you be there at 100% and you do the job you are hired to do. Don't bring all your crap into it. And I actually had the nickname um, when I started with Domino's of Mr. Happy because I'd come in the store and if there was someone that was in a bad mood and both of you ladies, I, I'm sure you know that one negative person in a group can impact the whole group, right? Oh yeah. And so we, there's stressful times in, in Domino's when you're in a supper rush, you're making a hundred or more pizzas an hour from scratch, it gets stressful. 
And so I would go in and if there was someone in a not a good mood, I wouldn't hound them. I wouldn't get you know obnoxious. I'd just, hey, how are you doing today? And I would talk to them until they would be in a better mood. And then all of a sudden it got to the point where I'd walk in the store and you'd hear someone go, Robert's here, everybody um, be happy. And it would change the whole energy of the training. And that comes from my parents. You know, just because they said, you go and do the job. Doesn't matter if you like it or not, but you be there, you give it a hundred percent. So that's kind of where it started for me. You know, you said so many things in that last, um, that last little section that we talk about. And I think the biggest one, we talk about reset, rise and reveal your brilliance. And then the key to the rising step is taking action. That's the key. You can hear all of the most, you know, the motivational talk, you can do all the studying, you can do all, all that stuff that you want study all the, you know, the great leaders and everything. But if you don't do something and it starts out with one thing, <laughs> then it's all pointless. You have to exactly. actually do something. So that, I mean, that really resonated with me. And, you know, the other things that we talk about is about building a tribe and all. And you said something about you observe what other people do. You, you observe the things that, that work in other people. So, I want to get into the clues things. Was that tied into the clues? Like, okay, here's this successful person. They do it yes. this way. Is that a clue? Absolutely. And one of them, like one of my clues in my book is if you want to reinvent the wheel, because what do people do? They see a system, they go, oh, but I can do it better or I'll do it my way. And so I say, if you want to reinvent the wheel, do it later, do it later. <laughs> because look, why not follow the system that's already been proven, get the success. And once you have the success, then if you still want to reinvent, reinvent, enhance, tweak, adjust. But most people, they see the system and, and I'll, look, I'm going to be blunt. And a lot of people may not like this. School taught us to reinvent the wheel mm -hmm. because in school we're taught, don't try and look at what someone else is doing. That's cheating. Don't copy what someone else is doing. That's cheating. So we come into the real world and we go, I don't want to be a cheater. I don't want to be bad. So I can't follow their system. I have to do it my way. And no wonder we struggle. So follow the system. And, and it's step number two in my book is find a mentor, someone to model. Because no, unless you're an Elon Musk, unless you're a Jeff Bezos, chances are no matter what you want to do in life, someone's done it before mm. you. So find out how they did it. Learn from what worked for them. But just as important, if not more important, learn what did not work for them so that you yeah. can avoid those pitfalls yourself and have the success quicker. Because the greatest way to have success quickly is to find a system, follow it. So if you want to reinvent the wheel, do it later. I love that. I love that idea. And this whole thing is, is, about, is about your brilliance and learning from the brilliance of others. And that idea of following a system that's already in place, if it ain't your brilliance, don't try and fix it. Like, just, right. just don't try and fix it. You know, follow that along. And as you said, you can always have ideas, but but you can't enter something sort of blind and then just assume that you're going to be the one who's going to save the thing. It might not need well, saving. Exactly. Or what does the mind do? The mind goes, oh, I now learned this. I've got to be perfect at it. And mm. one of my favorite quotes from one of my mentors, every master was once a disaster. <laughs> and you've got to be willing to go through the disaster stage. You know, I joke around that I only have one brain cell left and people go, well, why do you do that? And for me, it's a reminder that I don't have to be brilliant. I just have to find the people and follow what they do to get the success I want to have. Don't, I don't have to figure it all out. I don't, why put that pressure on myself? 
And going back to something you said earlier, uh, Mary Fran, is you know, another one of my favorite quotes that from one of my mentors, one step, and then talking about action, one step in the right direction is worth a thousand years of thinking about it. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah, I love so. that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm just going to pause us for a second because I want to recap just even this, this first part of this conversation. So our listeners understand that, you know, Robert, you are so living the brilliantly resilient process and, and you started from one of our biggest pillars of the reset is core values. And this was the hardest thing for me to realize as being a part of being brilliantly resilient. Um, and it took me quite a few months this past summer to really get my head around this, that, you know, to, to reset your life and your mindset and start in that new direction when everything falls apart really actually is easiest when you know what at you, who you are at your core. And I didn't realize that I think cause we're, and I do want to get into this in the, in the second part of this, one of the, the quotes I saw from you recently on your Facebook about what other people think of you and what you think of yourself. It's not really about, it's really what is inside of you makes the decision process to take action so much easier. Cause then you just kind of go, I don't know what I'm doing but I know that at my core, these are important to me. When you said family and fun, and interestingly enough, that's how I was like, oh, that's why we hit it off so well as soon as you came in the Zoom room. Because <laughs> Mary Fran and I have those as similar as the same core values that, that we are here to, to make the most impact for our families. And that keeps us headed towards the rise every time the sucker punches come. And 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 then the, the you know, oh, for our listeners that, that are... <laughs> For everyone that's figuring out the brilliant and resilient process, that next piece in the rise that you, you so eloquently talked about the action part that if you just sit on all that knowledge and you do all that work in the reset, if you don't take that step, you know, scary as some of that may be, if you don't take that step, you're not going to go anywhere. And then I love that we're uncovering all of your brilliance here with the skills that you had from other things that you're transferring into the stuff you're doing now. So, which mean, leads me to my question. You're so good at teaching and between your book and the, and the, I mean, here, just the way that you deliver your message, had you wanted to be a teacher back in, in, in early years, was that ever a calling you had in your life? No, it's oh, fantastic. It, it just, it was something that when presented, it went one hand clap. And I don't know if you guys know what a one hand clap is, <laughs> why didn't I see that before yourself right? in the face that's it's hilarious just like it's just like <laughs> why didn't I see that before because I look back now and I go I go this is the gift that I do have and I you know once I started owning it and I made a lot of stumbles when people saw me when I started and I made the declaration I'm going to be a trainer this is what I'm going to do people actually I had a person look at me go <laughs> Really? Why do you think? And, and that's where like Don Miguel Ruiz, The Four Agreements, love that book. Because mm -hmm. when I re started realizing not to take things personally, because it had nothing to do with me when someone, even if it felt so personal, it had nothing to do with me. It was the other person just spewing out what was going on inside of them. But I look back now and it was so obvious. And, you know, in 2008, I actually, and, and this is a kind of a lesson for your listeners, when you're following your passion, there is actually such a thing as overliving it, ladies, believe it or not. You know, in 2004, mm. when I did the first training, I had, from 2002 to 2004, I was in the learning process. I was um, assisting, co-training. And then in 2004, I did my very first training on my own. 
three days, Los Angeles, 1,200 students for a very intensive um, three-day weekend. And the moment I broke the mold and showed it could be done and it proved to myself I could do it, in the next four and a half years, I did over 200 multi-day trainings in North America and then started going to Asia as well. And I was living my passion, but I didn't realize I was overlaying it, uh, living it, and I got burnt out. Mm -hmm. And I had to take a year off because not only was I burnt out, but I didn't realize I wasn't taking care of me on the stage and I herniated a disc and didn't even know that's what I had done, but I was in pain. I thought it was sciatic. And that one year turned into three and a half years because I ended up getting comfortable back in my old comfort zone, old negative non-supportive habits started coming in and it took a dog attack to snap me out of that. Wow. When a dog actually lunged for my throat and ended up getting my chin and in the puncture wounds under my goatee were one thing, but he had the, she had ripped through here on my jaw and one inch further, she would have got a, my jugular and me and my gift. And I'll say it that way because every single person on this planet has a gift to give this world. And in that moment, I had the choice. I could have looked at the situation and went, why the did that happen to me? Or I could look at it and say, okay, why did that happen to me? And I realized one inch further, my gift would be gone. And a universal principle came to my mind that I teach that says that which is not utilized is eliminated. And mm -hmm. I had been living my gift. I'd said I was going to take a year off. I was now over two years into my time off and I hadn't come out of retirement. I think we may have just lost Robert's you know, internet. Oh, there you are. Max. Oh, am I back? You cut out <laughs> yeah, we lost there. you for a second there. So you were saying about, um, you know, you, you, you coming out of that retirement period that ended up being so much longer. And that was kind of like you said, your cosmic smack in the head. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah wow. it is. And it, and how have you ever noticed that you get messages, you get lessons. And if you don't listen to them, they come again with a little more intensity. Up <laughs> a little that, more right? force. Yeah. Pay and attention the first time, dummy. <laughs> right. And that dog attack was that message. Because in that moment, I went, you know what? I have to get training again. Not because I have to. I'd taken care of the finances years earlier. I had to because mm -hmm. it's my purpose for being on this planet. And one of the biggest reasons that people um, don't become resilient is because they don't believe they can live their gift. And yeah. they think that, uh, who am I? And I, you know, it's who are you, who, who are you not to be that brilliant? I love that saying by, I believe Caroline Meese, it just, you are here for a reason. If you're still breathing, you have a gift to give the planet, live it. And so to so me, I kind of want to take a, a kind of my, my, my little quick understanding of this is the, is the, the, the evolution of you into this role. You said you had never really planned on being a teacher, but to my mind, teacher is about changing mindsets, about enlightening minds and giving minds something else to think about. So from what you've told me from the very beginning, when you used to be happy, Robert, you were teaching, you were, this is what we talk about in Brilliantly yes. Resilient. Like True. it's, it's, it's showing it's those things that come easiest to us that are our brilliance. And yes. you were preparing yourself by going in and changing people's mindsets. You were showing your brilliance in a way that, yeah, it ended up being more formal type of teaching, but that's what you were doing all the way along. And this is one of those things that we talk about is that transferable skill that how do you take that thing that you're so good at, which in your case was coming in and changing people's mindsets and moods. How do you take that and, and move it into another area? And you did that by becoming 
an instructor and a trainer. So to your point, everybody has that brilliance, but we have to be willing to look at the non-conventional ways that we may be using it and where it is in our lives and how we can take it to another place. Mm-hmm. So true. And it takes courage. Sure. It takes courage because that's what stops a lot of people is they don't believe it's the low self-esteem. From traveling around the world now multiple times, probably the biggest thing I notice that everybody, I don't care your upbringing, what your country is, what your beliefs are. The thing that we all have in common is a low self-esteem for mm-hmm. so many people. And so it's believing in yourself for sure. So to that end, this was the part that I really wanted to dive in. Now that we know your, your brilliance and your journey and all that, I, I need you to teach us something here today <laughs> that is really important. <laughs> it is this concept of, it is not about you. It's about them and what they're projecting on you. Let's, let's, let's walk through this a little bit. And especially in terms of people's self-esteem, not having the courage to share their brilliance with the world. And when people are, and honestly, in my mind right now are our younger listeners or parents that have young kiddos, not that young, you know, the teenagers and the social media issues going on now that people are Mm self-esteem is crushing all over the world. Mm -hmm. So help us walk us through a little bit this con it, it just was blowing my mind looking at your social media about this whole thing with it's not about you it's what they're projecting about themselves. Yeah. And look it does it comes back to and I've got it right here with me. The four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And mm-hmm. it, it, one of the agreements is don't what it is is everything that we see and say to someone else it's the law of projection. We're projecting on them what's going on inside of ourselves. And that's on both sides of things. So if I look at someone and go, what a jerk. I could not see that in them unless somewhere inside of me, I'm thinking I'm a jerk. And the same thing is like, oh my goodness. And you know, Kristen, as an example, you've, you've talked about my brilliance a few times. You cannot see that in me unless inside of you, there's some brilliance that you have inside of me or inside of you. And maybe sometimes you forget to tap into it hmm. and to own it yourself. But if you're looking at someone going, oh my goodness, that person's amazing, then go, hey, if I think they're amazing, it has nothing to do with them. What is the amazing part of me? And some people might go, well, Robert, isn't that ego? Well, let me tell you, everybody has ego. Everybody Mm -hmm. has ego. The question is, is whether you're using it in a way, put it like this, your ego is going to be there whether you want it or not. And if you try to ignore it or don't give it a healthy way to play, you're going to find that it'll come out in unhealthy ways when you don't want it to. An example of that when I'm on stage, there's no room for ego because I'm there for my students. I'm there for them. So if I don't give my ego a chance to play, that's where it would come out because I'm in front of thousands of people. It'd be easy to go, Hey, look at me. <laughs> I'm all that. And so what I've found over the years of practice is I love video games. And so when I'm playing a video game, if I'm playing if we're going head to head, ladies, and I'm playing a game against you, you're going down. I'm sorry, you're going down because my ego is going to play. If it's Frogger, if it's Frogger, Uh-oh. I beg to differ with you. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're on. <laughs> <laughs> and and so because I give it a place to play because it's there. When I'm on okay. stage, I can be present. And for the young people, what you're talking about, especially with social media, here's the biggest issue I've noticed. They look at it, and and I think we're all of us are old enough to remember the LPs where you had side A, side B. The little oh, yeah. ones, right? Yeah. And if you notice, side A was always the greatest hit. What was the number one chart, chart topper? Side B was a hit that they, or a song they hoped someday would get traction. And here's what's happening in social media today. You're seeing all the greatest hits, all the side A's out there, 
But then in our minds, we compare our side B with their side A, and we wonder why we're miserable. We hmm. wonder why we're not as happy as we could be. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop it. The only person I want you to compare yourself to is you. And the only question is, am I once, did I take one more step today than I did yesterday? And if you did, celebrate like crazy. That's step number four in my book, Success Left a Clue, is celebrate. Biggest thing people miss is they get a win and they don't, I can't, I can't celebrate that. But if you don't own it, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, I'm going for a party because I did great. It's like, it could be something as simple as a, yes, I did that. Mm -hmm. Or good job, good job. You know, I did that, I accomplished it. You celebrate. And when you compare yourself to you, that's where your self-esteem can start coming up. That's where you can start to own how amazing you are. Because when you take things personally, it'll chip away at your self-confidence. Now, some people, they'll go, you're right, Robert. Something I don't hear often, but okay, you're right. <laughs> is, <laughs> I'm just not going to listen to the negative people tell me. And I'm going to warn you, don't take anything personally, especially the good. Because if you sit there and go, I'm only going to listen to the good people say about me, you're setting yourself up for a harder fall. Mm -hmm. Now picture this, I'm on stage in front of hundreds and thousands of people. And a lot of them come up and, oh my goodness, you've changed my life. If I was to take that all and go, hoo, 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 the ego in the head's going to explode. I think that's why I pushed all the follicles out. Maybe in the beginning <laughs> I, I did, right? And, oh good, you guys got that joke. And so <laughs> this is the key is just, is to sit there and own who you are, whatever that looks like. I like that. I believe that. the greatest gift anybody can give this planet is to be them. Because when you're you, People are either going to like you or they're not. And the key is, is if they like you, that's awesome. If they don't like you, that's awesome. Because <laughs> how much time, I, I can only go from my own experience, but I look back at the time energy I wasted on trying to be something I wasn't to please other people. And it was tiring. Yeah. I joke now that I just don't have enough room at my friend's giving table. So if you don't like me anymore, I just don't care because I don't have enough chairs. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's, so that's, oh, that's okay. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's it. And it actually goes to one of the questions you guys had asked earlier. One of the things that I, I've found has really served me in my life is because quit trying to do it on your own. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to be everything is surround yourself with a group of, and, and listen to the terminology not like-minded people. I want you to surround yourself with growth-minded people. And this was a paradigm shift I went through last year mm -hmm. from one of my mentors. See, I'm still learning. I will always be a student. And he said, Robert, if you're in a group of um, people that are complainers and you're like-minded, you're going to be a complainer. Mm -hmm. But if you surround yourself with a group of growth-minded people, and the difference is they're the people that are going to be there to pick you up when you stumble. They're going to be the people to cheer you on when you're doing well. But the most important role they're going to have is they're the ones that are willing to have the tough conversations with you when needed. And that might be, why are you being such a jerk right now? Yeah. You know, why? And those are the people I want and I am blessed to have in my life because they, you know, one of the greatest gifts my wife gives me as an example is she's not willing to let me play smaller than I am. Even when she has to give me a swift kick in the butt sometimes and say, step up, why are you playing small? And if it was left to me, and I have no problem admitting this, if it was just me left to my devices, I would be in a job right now, miserable, but comfortable. And yeah. I'd be going, I hate what I'm doing, but you know what? It's supporting my family. This is all I'm going to do. But she's not willing to let me do that. She says, step up to your game. And that's a gift I now give her back and forth. So growth minded people instead of like minded people. 
you've dropped a lot of brilliance bombs here, Robert, <laughs> but that one is just exploding all over my office here. That's fantastic. Cause you're right. I mean, and I think that that I recently turned 50, so I'm incredibly wise now as of two weeks ago. <laughs> that just means and Kristen, I love a friend of mine told me this when I hit 50, he said, you didn't turn 50. You just reached level 50 in the game of life. And the, you know, in the game of life, the higher levels you get, the better you are. There you go. See, I'm all kinds of wise now, but I, I've realized that the people, like, I also do not have many extra hours in the day, you know, and with three kids and, and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, I want to spend time with people that I can have those kinds of more growth minded conversations and not the same, like, yeah, the whole world has sucked for a year. It's been sucky. You're still saying that it's sucky. This is not fun for me anymore. You know, it's just, I just, it just feels better to be with, with folks that I just love that, that are growth minded and not necessarily like-minded. Very good. That's amazing. Stuff. Uh, before we wind up, and I hate to say we have to wind up soon, but I <laughs> want to talk about really quick your new book, um, The Authority Key. Yes. Give us a little bit of a um, an idea of what that's about. And then I want you to tell everybody where we can get more of your good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm writing The Authority Key right now. And it's going to be not only about how to become an authority, because there's a lot of practical skills. And I'll teach about that being podcast host, writing a book, you know, the kind of ways to be positioned as an authority, but it's really doing a deep dive of who are you as the person to be able to handle that success, to be able to handle that role and maintain who you are, because I don't want an authority to be a temporary position. I want you to be able to have the authority on your life. And so one of the things, as an example, I talk about the four phases of life. And one of the phases is, I call it the unclutter phase, or another name is chaos. And most people they get when chaos comes into their life, you know, that smack upside the head, they resist it. And if you understand that you want to embrace chaos because Mm -hmm. chaos is actually natural as human beings, we're meant to evolve. And when we're not evolving, like the dog attack, it forced me to then evolve to getting back into living my gift. So chaos comes in. And if you don't want the hard smacks upside the head, you don't want the dog attacks. There's actually ways that you can, courageously cooperate with chaos so that you can actually Hmm. flow through life instead of it disrupting your life. And so that's one of the things I'll be talking about in the new book. I love it. Are these little, these little gems courageously cooperate with chaos. It's like, it's like (laughs) your name, Robert Raymond Riopelle, like courageously cooperate with chaos, like all these little things that they just kind of stick with you. I've taken copious notes this morning on all of your stuff that you've that you've (laughs) offered us so we can't thank you enough but now like like i said tell other people and all of our listeners where we can find you because guys you need to get more of what robert's offering i mean i'm soaking up i'm soaking up the wisdom here y'all need to get (laughs) some more of this uh well the easiest didn't look ladies you were so gracious so gracious to take your time and invite me on your podcast And I believe our time is one of our greatest commodities that we have. And so because your audience took their time to listen, what I'd love to do as a gift from us to your audience is if they just go to robertreopel.com, my name, not any harder than that, just robertreopel.com, they're actually going to be able to download the entire digital copy of my first book, Success Left a Clue, as our gift to them. Now, I am going to say, though, this comes with a caveat, ladies. This comes with a caveat. I didn't write this book for people to read it, put it on the shelf and make it shelf help. 
That's not why I wrote it. Remember? <laughs> oh, good. You, Mary Fran, you got that joke. Thank you. You know, people got whole about... libraries of shelf help, don't they? <laughs> they whole do. Libraries. Oh my god. Do something. <laughs> yep. And so I wrote it because step number three is take action. I wrote it as a workbook. So all the way through the book, there is action steps. And, and I'll actually say in the book, uh, did you do the last action? If not, stop now, go back and do the action before you read any more. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a goofy person that likes to have fun. And so I wrote the book at, like it's me, because it is me. And in fact, I even have, you know how emojis are such a big thing? Love I them. Have, I have a clue emoji. That's Stop my it. clue emoji. <laughs> That's fantastic. And, and, oh, and boy, I had to go through a battle to get a trademark because the emoji company that has all the um, copyrights or trademarks, they came on me saying, oh, that's too close to ours. But my lawyer won the battle. So I now have the trademark for clue emoji. So I'm a happy man. But another, yeah. another brilliant thing. <laughs> so if they go to robertrealpel.com, download the book, do the actions. You can follow me on social media. My assistant tells me I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, you are. Cause I checked you out on all of those. Yeah. Somebody else worked at brilliance <laughs> over there. That's not your brilliance. Let your assistant do it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and look, what's really cool is you talk about not doing it on your own. Every week, at three on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, my sister and I have a 10-minute strategy call, and then she puts into practice, because she's brilliant at doing posts and, and creating, and so she takes my work and puts them into the great posts, and I, I look at them and go, man, she's making me sound good. <laughs> this, is, this is awesome. We got so, one of those, have, too. We yeah. got oh. one that makes us sound real good. They're brilliant. Good well, yeah, stuff. because when we try to do it, on, we have our strengths, right, ladies? We mm -hmm. are, there's things that we're great at and there's things we're not. So quit trying to do the things you're terrible at. Find someone who's great at and love to do it. Let them have the pleasure of living their gift because it's what they love. That's a win-win situation right there. You know, I even do that to my daughter who's 17. She'll be like, mom, you know, the, uh, this, this, whatever on the kitchen counter isn't organized. And I, and I run out of the room and I'm like, not my brilliance, not my brilliance. <laughs> You're going to have to do that because she's so organized and I'm not. <laughs> on that note, everyone can go discover their brilliance. Go get uh, Robert's book and, and work your way through it. We call them workish books. It sounds like yours is a workish with a lot of fun in there with emojis. Um, go get, get his book. And if you are looking to know more about these pillars that we were touching on today in this episode of the Brilliantly Resilient Process, go to brilliantlyresilient.net, blink three times, and suddenly this magic box will appear. Put your email in there and we'll send them to you every week. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today, Robert, and for being our friend for life, because now you are stuck with us. Oh. <laughs> I look forward to that. What a journey it will be. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time on Brilliantly Resilient. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.